Hello, my name is Philip Miriton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, one thing about Albert Einstein is that he had a lot of very insightful sayings that really had nothing to do with physics. But he was an observer of the world, observer of people, and a seeker of knowledge. And one of his famous quotes is, Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. On today's show, we're going to be focusing on the second part of, of that saying, which is religion without science is blind, although I'm sure we'll be touching on the other component of that saying as well. Now this show is called Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, but one thing that should be clear is that the only way to go beyond science and religion is not to be limited by what we understand those terms to mean. Only by questioning the beliefs and opinions that we hold can we reach an understanding of the world having a deeper validity? For science, this should be easy, because science is supposed to be the open-minded search for truth. Now, it's not always like that. We'll probably get to that topic a little bit today. But religion's a different story. Unfortunately, many of us maintain beliefs that are sacrosanct, beyond question. The way I, I like to think of it is that we put up a force field around these beliefs, these core religious beliefs, and we repel any questioning about them. And we need to uh, go too far to find beliefs like this. For example, the, the belief in Jesus Christ being the Savior, or the belief of Muslims in the Koran, and all sorts <clears throat> of other religious beliefs simply are beyond questioning. But to accept these beliefs without questioning cannot be healthy. It closes off part of our brains and then divides us into different categories of people, different armies, different, different religious sects. But there is some combination of upbringing, conditioning, and emotional depth of the topic that makes the beliefs of religion extremely difficult to shake. But here in the 21st century, nothing is more important. Perhaps it's time to clean house, clean out our brains, clean out our minds of these questionable beliefs and take an open-minded look at some of these fundamental beliefs we hold. Now our guest today is Rahasha Poe, a gentleman who knows a thing or two about beliefs and belief systems. He's the publisher of the magazine Lotus Guide and author of the book To Believe or Not Believe, The Social and Neurological mm -hmm. Consequences of Belief Systems. Welcome to the show, Rahasha. Thank you, Philip. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great having you, and thank you very much for suggesting the topic today. You know, Rahash and I went back and forth a little bit about about uh, how to how to carry on this show, and I thought that the Einstein quote was perfect because it's right in the center of what this show is about, and also uh, it's what your book is about. But let's let's 
get right to it here. What in your mind uh, is it about beliefs or erroneous beliefs that's so damaging? Well, there, there's a neurological consequence to this that I guess we could discuss first. And I actually went to several neuroscientists to validate this information. Because, you know, we have these old sayings that uh, certain religious people, fundamentalists, are narrow-minded and uh, tunnel vision. Well, it turns out that they actually do. If you have a belief that is completely absurd, now, I don't mean to put down religious beliefs or anything, but let's face it, I've never seen a virgin birth. Right. You know, I, I, I've, for all I know, I've never seen anyone go to paradise and get 72 virgins. Right. Putting that aside, whether it's true or not, let's just look at the fact that it is completely outside our field of rational reality. So if I want to force my mind, I mean, you have to force your mind to believe something like this. And the only way possible to do that is to start cutting neural pathways to things like archaeology and world history and science and physics and biology. By the time you do that, what the neuroscientists are finding out, if you cut enough of these synapses, because we can do this with, with plasticity, we have the ability to expand our mind or retract it. So if we continue to cut synapses by cutting off whole bodies of information, at a certain point, our brain starts to atrophy and shrink. Now, once that process starts, it can be very difficult to stop it. And what they're finding out now is it actually does cut down on your peripheral vision. Somehow, intuitively, we've known through our language that a person that is completely fixated on a fundamentally absurd thought, they, they actually get narrow-minded. And... When I found this out, I thought to myself, you know what, no matter what I believe in, it, I, I really need to fact check it with the reality that I find myself in. For, forget about what might or might not happen in paradise or hell or heaven or any other number of scenarios where all this information comes from. Just putting all that aside, I live here today, right now, and I don't want to do my mind, my actual brain, mental damage. And I think we're living in a world now with several hundred million people that are basically getting up every day and pretending like they know things that they don't. Well, I think that this is, this is a healthy standpoint, not only for religion, but for anything, when you think about it. But focus. But I think that religion's important, and, and you spend a lot of time in your book uh, on the religious belief systems. But we know that religion is the most deeply rooted belief system. If it, it, it's got to be right. It probably is the most deeply rooted belief system. And the problem is, and this is where I agree with you, that that if we restrict our thought process to accepting beliefs that really don't make a lot of sense logically or rationally, what we're doing, I think, is we're sort of cutting off part of our thought process, part of our mental power, and we're sort of like putting it in the basement or, 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 or shutting it down 
so that so that we don't use the full capabilities of our thinking when we approach a problem. Now, you you put it in this neural uh, context, which I think is is fine, but but I I view it as simply shutting down part of your brain or 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 part of your mind. And what makes it so debilitating is that is that it affects us not only individually, but as you point out, it puts us into these religious categories, such as Muslim, uh, Jews, Christians, etc., where their beliefs are so strongly rooted and they won't change, and so therefore you have essentially uh, fixed a, 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 a battle line or fixed these enemies in the place circling around these beliefs that they will not change. That, that I think, is, is so important in this day and age with, with the continued religious stripe we're seeing. Yeah, and, and there's actually no excuse for continuing to believe beliefs that came out of the Iron Age from a, a small t- tribe of people. Right. And we basically have not reevaluated that because we've been burned at the stake, we've been crucified, all, all of this stuff has to come to an end. And the reason it has to come to an end is because during the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, and even earlier, earlier on, 1,500, 1,600 years ago, the religious fervor was very strong. But it didn't matter a whole lot to people like myself because all they had was spears and arrows and some swords. And, and it took... If, if they wanted to kill a million of me, it took at least a million of them and a lot of logistics to move the army and the military and feeding and all the armament. But now all it takes is one fundamental radical with a suitcase bomb sitting in New York to kill a million people. So yeah. living in an advanced technological society ha- is a game changer for religious values and religious thoughts of the Iron Age. Well, I, I think that, that that is extremely important because it turns out that those often who are in power, and, and by being in power we mean uh, having power over military weapons or weapons of terrorism, are, are some of the very people with these hardened beliefs. And, and they're controlling not only the the thinking of the people who are the believers but but they are jeopardizing uh the the lives and and the serenity of so many other people now i think that what's promising though in 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 the modern era in the last 10 years in particular it goes back farther but we have we are starting to see sort of the challenge to religious beliefs coming more and more front center. And, and for example, and you talk about them in your book, you know, Dawkins and the God Delusion and Christopher Hitchens' uh, God is Not Great and Breaking the Spell by Daniel Dennett. And your book is sort of in that category in many ways. But, but I don't agree with everything in those books. But on the other hand, I think it is promising that that we're seeing bestsellers written by some very smart people challenging sort of the archaic mindset of these religious systems. So, so that, I think, is, is a good thing because it's now it's on the table. It's not like 
uh, you know, hidden away somewhere. It's not an untouchable uh, feature of, of our world. You know, we tend to respect people's religious beliefs, but when they start killing people, they start terrorizing, they start, uh, you know, uh, abusing women, it, it, it becomes a public issue, and I think it's great that we're having more people bring this front and center. Yeah, it's, it's also great that we have the protection of law yeah. to do this. That's a good point. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, poor, poor Salmon, Salmon Rusty, uh, the author who wrote, uh, I guess, uh, a book about Muhammad. And I, I, I actually have the book. I don't think I've read it, but he didn't exactly portray Muhammad in the greatest light. And there was a fatwa. And he's, he's now, I guess he had to go in hiding for decades because he was critical of Mohammed, and I think the freedom in this country is something that we sometimes uh, overlook. People like you, people like me, were able to talk about these topics and challenge these belief systems without without jeopardizing our careers or our lives. Now, now, tell us a little bit about what led you to 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 write this book. Tell us a little bit about your story, Rahasha. How did how did you get to where you're at right now in your own mindset? Well, I, I think I've always been a questioner. When I was about seven years old, I was in Sunday school, and they were just getting into the Genesis part of the Bible, and God created all the things, all the living things, and he was very well pleased. And as a seven-year-old, I'm thinking, okay, there's a God, and he created all this, and he's really happy about it. Then the next Sunday I came back and he tried to drown us all. And I'm telling the Sunday school teacher, wait a minute, you know, like I have some questions about this. And it, it's, it's that conflict of being totally irrational that triggered something in me. And then later on, I mean, I've always questioned everything. You know, I was a Vietnam War protester and I, I just uh, have questioned authority all of my life. And when I started reading the history of religion, this is what really got me going. It was actually a quote by Voltaire. If they can make you believe in absurdities, they can make you commit atrocities. Yeah. And I thought, wh why is that so? Because it is a fact. Yeah. If, if you go into any battlefield, any battlefield at any time throughout history, and ask what the people's beliefs are, they're totally irrational. So there, there is something to that. And that's what led me to the neurological consequences. So after like getting into the history of the, the Bible and the Quran, then I even got into the Mahabharata and the Ramayana, all the Vedic literature. As it goes backwards, you start seeing a progression of, well, let's, let's say nation states. And it really started at the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire really started realizing the power of using people with limited mental capacity because of their belief systems and superstitions, they're easily controlled and manipulated through fear. And Constantine, once Constantine really got a grip on this, and he basically made a deal with the church. He, he said, look, it, you sanction our wars. It's a, it's a holy war and we will not charge you any taxes for any of your property. And ever since then, it, it's been this manipulative factor 
of our government and all governments all over the planet to use religious people and religions, especially organized religions, because I don't know how you feel about conspiracy. And notice I don't say theory, <laughs> because there is, there's been a conspiracy going on now for centuries. They, they've gotten into our government. They've gotten into our financial system and banks, our social systems. And don't think for a second they just went and forgot about the religious the organized religions and went, oh, we should have done this too. They did, they did this many centuries ago. High up in the organized religions, they are being controlled by state and federal governments all over the planet. And I think the, the lower echelon of the churches, the local churches, they don't even know about this. They, they don't even think about it. And it could be because of their belief systems. Well, you know, I think that it's... it's um it's interesting that when we have these discussions about science and religion, I tend to focus on the concepts, on the beliefs, but there's, there's no doubt that there's also a political side to both science and religion. I mean, on many, in, in many instances on this show, we talk about really the politics of science, about how uh, existing, working, uh, teaching within the existing scientific paradigm is necessary be if you want to get a job, if you want to get a professorship, if you want to get tenure, if you want to get published. And there's no doubt that the same thing works in religion. And the the problem is with religion is 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 as we said in the beginning, religion has this sort of respect and sort of this aura where in many instances it's beyond questioning. And it's, and, it's, and it's this beyond questioning part of religion that I think is damaging. I, I, I think that there is truth, that there's truth in, this, in, in the holy books. I think the problem is, is that we don't try to explain or understand those words, those stories in the right context. We tend to uh, uh, treat them as literal truths, or we tend to treat them as unchanging statements. We don't try to understand them in a broader context. And I also want to add here something that you talk about in your book that is, I think is really important that underlies a lot of this, which is Pascal's wager. And, and Pascal's wager, as you know, is that famous um, wager, bet, where he basically said, that it's better to believe in God than not believe in God because if there really is a God, then you're going to be rewarded with eternal life. And if there isn't one, you're going to go to hell. So the bet is, so place all your money on the God belief. And, and, and I think that that's something that really, it's amazing that, that that wager, in my mind, still influences so much of religion. And I'm not sure. Yeah, and I think if there is a God, um, that, that, that would be the most ludicrous, blasphemous right. kind of a, a belief that you could possibly ever come up with. It's like an insurance policy. Right. right. When I first heard that, I thought that, you know, what God is going to sort of reward lip service. It really sounds like lip service to me. You know, yeah. you, you know, you kneel down, you recite the prayers, and then you go out and you are a, maf you know, a mafiosa boss or something. I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it, it just has a shallowness 
uh, that to me cannot possibly be true. But why do so many people uh, listen to religious leaders? I mean, I mean, what's what's your thinking on this? Why why are, why are so many of them um, so popular? So so uh, so much followed. Well, I, I think it boils down to the fact that we've always preferred, as a collective humanity, to give our power away to our local tribal leader, to our president. Uh, I, I went through this, I, I was a counselor for drug addicts for a while, and I noticed people are so eager to give their power away to the 12-step program. It, it doesn't matter what it is, we're, we don't like to take responsibility for ourselves. Yeah. And the moment you say to yourself, you know, maybe I better straighten something out before your listeners uh, turn me off as just some uh, godless heathen. <laughs> uh, you know, I, as far as God goes, there is, for me, I, actually, in the process of writing my book, it helped me dismantle a lot of my superstitions and beliefs. And as I was doing that, I noticed something. Each belief was deeply, especially the ones that I had identified with. Each belief set up a, a pattern and a filter, and by dismantling it, I started seeing reality a lot clearer. Then when it got down to religious beliefs, because I was indoctrinated, I grew up in West by God, Virginia, and <laughs> you know it was tough. But as I dismantled these beliefs, it was scary at first because you think, oh, my God, what, what if there is a God, you know, and I'm going to go to hell. And, but af, as you process these fears and dismantle the beliefs, I started seeing something uh, quite amazing. And it, it's like a, an inner consciousness. And I realized that what I had been looking for all of my life was exactly what was doing the looking and it reminds me of a lot of things, and, and this is what gets uh, friends of mine and people I talk with, they say, you know, you sound religious, because there are things in the Bible, like when Jesus says, ye too are gods, even as I am. So don't be amazed at these incredible things I'm doing, because you're going to do these things and even greater. I, I think the, the living spark of God consciousness is what I sense when I close my eyes and I feel feel this consciousness in me, and I can easily identify with that and say, oh, this is the I am, but it's not. There's something flowing through me, and I couldn't see that before, because churches and organized religions, be it priests or rabbis or whatever, it, all of that gets in the way, and it stops our progress of an inner search. Well, well, I think that, that that is exactly the point. I think that's what makes your sort of perspective, I think, more uplifting than the Richard Dawkins viewpoint. S specifically, you don't say, well, organized religion is based upon irrational beliefs, therefore there is no God. <laughs> Right. The way yeah, that, that's the way as you do it. As saying right. there is a God. Right, right. And I'm exactly the same. I mean, I mean, this is the whole point about subjecting beliefs to questioning. My own view is very similar, which is that which is that a a much more inspiring spirituality sort of grows on, in, out of the same ground, out of the same soil 
after you uplift all these irrational beliefs of religion. Now, I have to also say, I think you got we have to up, uplift science too. But but the point is, and this is this is the most important thing I could say right here, and that is the reason the question, in my own mind, the reason the question organized religion is that they have sort of pressed down, they've sort of fogged in the mirror of of what real spirituality is. They've they've sort of made it like a a mass media uh, you know product. That you could buy the, the holy book, read it, and and you'll and you'll have religion. Well, it's I don't think that that is as fulfilling as actually experiencing the the oneness, the unity, the beauty of the all this all this other kind of stuff. And I think that's sort of what you're saying, isn't it? Uh, along the same lines, Rahasha. Yeah, and and I think religion. One of the the biggest things to be careful of is the fact that they've turned it into a dogma. Right. And, and truth. I, I think we could agree on this. Truth is not something that you can put in stone. It, it's a living energy. Right. And when we try to turn it into a dogma and indoctrinate it into our youth, culture after generation after generation after generation, we end up living in a future generation with these old cultural myths and superstitions, and we wonder why our world is falling apart. And it's because I think people are waking up and our consciousness, our spiritual mind has gone so far beyond the boundaries and the limitations of religion that it just won't fit in there anymore. Yes, yes, yes. And and just to let everyone know, this is Philip Merton. I'm talking with uh, Rahasha Poe about one of the most important topics we can be talking about here in conversations beyond science and religion, which is, is religion without science blind? Uh, uh, Rahasha is the author of the new book, uh, To Believe or Not Believe, The Social and Neurological Consequences of Belief Systems. Now, I'd like to next uh, move into this this topic, which really excites me, which is a spiritual awakening, this planetary awakening that that you talk about and that others have talked about. And I and first of all, you know, you mentioned it a little bit, but why don't you try to give some some uh, definition to to what you really mean or what you what you hope it means, <laughs> this planetary awakening, Rasha, because I think that. I, I, I assume you, you've, you've put a lot of thought into this, this concept. Well, yeah, I've put a lot of thought into it, and, I, and I've talked to um, quite a few people about this, too. I talked to Bruce Lipton. He's a microbiologist. Uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard. Uh, she's like this incredible 80-year-old lady that just has been into this forever. And, and we were talking about this very thing. And like Bruce told me, he says, you know, Whenever I really get too confused about uh, life and what's going on and what's happening, he says, being a, a biologist, I look into nature. And he says, the very thing that's going on right now is personified in the, the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And we're all familiar with the metaphor. We use it for spiritual awakening and everything. But like he said, he said that, there's something that happens in the middle that people don't pay attention to. 
because what happens is the caterpillar practically devours its environment. It eats up hundreds of times its weight in its environment. And this is what we're doing right now. We're, we're just devastating our resources. We're at the caterpillar stage. But he says something really incredible happens because unknown to the caterpillar, it's part of a larger sacred di dimension and a reality. That, and that frequency is constantly vibrating through time and space and all the matter. And for some unknown reason, it finds a place to hang upside down, spins a cocoon, and then it starts to basically break down into chaos. All of these just a mass of goop cells. And he says early in the process, the caterpillar tries to restabilize itself. And this is what we're doing right now by infusing the, the military all over the planet. We're infusing money into the banking system. We're trying to restabilize our caterpillar level of being. But what's happening is it's breaking down no matter what we do. It's going to break down into something that you could easily say it's chaos. But what's happening in that chaos, as, as anybody with chaos theory knows, that deep in the chaos, there is a pattern. And in that cocoon, there's something that the biologists call imaginative cells. Now, around the imaginative cells, those particular cells are the only ones that are vibrating. And, and they're vibrating according to this outside frequency of this sacred reality. And around that cell, they start using the chaos, the other molecules and everything, they pull it together and that's what develops into the butterfly. So I think that right now everything that's happening, it, it looks chaotic, it looks bad, you know, governments are breaking down, dysfunctional, even dangerous, religions aren't working, the financial system, it's only a matter of time before that collapses. But it's all good because our caterpillar system is devouring our world of resources and it pretty soon the caterpillars couldn't even live on this planet and deep within this chaos if we look around there are imaginative cells what we might call visionaries people that can tune in the shamans and, and so forth people that can tune into the sacred reality see further over the horizon and past the chaos and if we can listen to them and start developing around there, I think we're going to manifest a, a world that we can't even imagine right now with our caterpillar mentality. Yeah, I think the, I think the caterpillar and butterfly is a great metaphor. And I think, again, it's, it's extremely inspiring because it just, it just shows you the possibility, uh, the possibilities that we may be overlooking. I think the most important thing is to bring these these spiritual uh, ideas down to earth. I think for too long, a lot of the religious and spiritual teachings have 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 this high-sounding sort of delivery, where folks think you've got to go somewhere and start chanting or sit in a circle and hold hands or 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 read in Latin. Or, or do yoga or whatever. All that, there's nothing wrong with that. But the point is, is that the, the fundamental uh, point about questioning beliefs 
and, and, and using your rational mind to try to understand your thinking and delve deeper into these ideas is really something we could all do. I'm sort of, it's sort of like math or logic, where if you follow the reasoning of math or logic, everyone reaches the same conclusion. That's the whole point of it. The, if, if you have a logical set of beliefs, then people are going to have, they're going to reach a similar point. This is what science is supposed to be doing. Science is supposed to be this, this, this methodological way of thinking where different people could carry out the same experiment and reach the same conclusion. I think that uh, this breakthrough, which I hope is near, will be sort of the breakthrough of the open-minded people or the breakthrough of the, of the critics, of the self-critical people. Because I think, Rahashi, I think that, that the unity that we're, we're all striving for or this peacefulness that we're striving for has to begin with an open mind. And, and, and that, that to me is, is the secret right there. So that I, that's something that, um, you know, it's, it's doable. That's doable. Yeah, and and I think with you know scientists, where they have it a little bit ahead is they do something called peer review, which is right. sort of what you and I are doing right now. We're we're comparing it, and it's okay to disagree. We just right. talk, and it's a perceptual difference usually. Right. A and they have a saying that you can't prove a hypothesis, and if you always remember that, you know I, I remember Schopenhauer said we we live in this mystery. And I think that we've forgotten how to live in the mystery. And this is one thing that religion robs us of, is, is it tries to explain everything so we can sleep at night. And if you can just let go of all of that and realize that this is a mysterious journey, and there, there might be questions that are totally unanswerable from this level that might be able to be answered from the next level, but even at the next level, there's probably questions there. This might be an eternal mystery. And what could be more exciting than that, than to wake up every day in this amazing, incredible mystery and set out to explore it and find little bits of information here and there? Yeah, and I, I, could, I think that that's exactly where I'm at because I will tell you that everybody that I've ever talked to and every book I've ever read, nobody, nobody understands it. Nobody understands why the world exists. I mean, th there's the there's that new book by Jim Holt. I I think it's called Why Does the World Exist? And and you and he went out and he tried to, you know, he tried to find the answer. He's talked to the smartest people in the world, and of course, he didn't find the answer. Why? Well, because there's a mystery. There is a mystery at the end. And, yeah. and, and, there, and there is, there is the famous quote that I use in my own book uh, from the Rig Veda. It's, it, it's something like, you know, only the, only the great one knows, knows why the world exists. And, but then again, maybe he doesn't know. And, 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 and so I don't, I don't think there is an answer. And I think that the, I mean, that's, and I, I, I sort of like it that way because I don't know how you could possibly answer the question. But, but to appreciate the fact that we're here now 
in this amazing place is something that, uh, going back to religion, I think it blinds us to the miracle sometimes. Yep. <laughs> you know, not all the time, but sometimes it bl- it blinds us. It's like, well, God did it, pray to God, and everything's cool. But but you you, you tend to forget the depth of the of of the miracle, which I don't think is a good thing. No, I don't, I don't think so either. So so now what what um what should we believe in? Is, is there anything? I mean, everyone's got to have some beliefs, but what what should we believe in? Or or should we always keep beliefs in some kind of suspended animation, like like the scientific hypothesis? Well, the the statement that you made, you've got to believe in something. I think the first thing we have to do is question our beliefs. And one of the beliefs is we have to believe in something. I'm not sure we do. I I think maybe we're growing into an adulthood now to where we can truly live in the mystery and form theories and ideas and hypotheses and and not get – there's another belief or a believing that we shouldn't mix in with this, and that's the power of intention. Right. You know, we, we have to set the power of intention for a better world. I, I believe that I can be a better person every day. I believe that things are, are ultimately going to work out. But it, that doesn't stop me from searching and taking care of business. You know, I, I very seldom quote, uh, especially from the Middle East, but <laughs> they have a quote is sort of apropos to this. They say, believe in Allah. But tie up your camel first. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, I've not heard of that one. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah there's this uh, a balance, yes. a, a precarious balance. And none of us, none of us like to live it on this precarious razor's edge because it's much easier to be a Republican or a Democrat than be uh, an independent. Right. It's much easier to be this or that, left or right, up or down. But I think the new consciousness is demanding a new form of awareness to where we have to constantly balance ourselves precariously in between opposites. And I think we're breaking away from the polarity thinking of our old primal mind. I think we're evolving into another suspension of spiritual awareness that starts leaving that behind. But this takes... a Balance, and, and I. The only way I can really think of to explain that is when I first started riding a bike. Let's face it: when you're first riding a bike, it's much easier to just fall down to the left or fall down to the right. Right. Because when you're trying to balance it with your mind, with your biological mind, with your left brain, it's it's all you can do, all the mental power you can have to go, whoa, I'm going to the left and pull to the right. I'm going to the right, pull to the left. But there's something that happens if you keep doing that. There's that magical moment when your body-mind tunes into that and you you just take off and you feel like you're flying when that happens. And I think that that's something that's happening to a lot of people. It takes a lot of work to pull in the opposites, to see that there are no good and there are no bad. There, There are no terrorists and there are no... It's we're all in this together. And to do that requires this consciousness to where we have to really maintain balance. But if you can do that long enough, you transcend into this other form of being and consciousness. I think that in terms of 
in terms of beliefs, now I, I happen to think that the way to unity is where is when spirituality and science unite. And I use the word spirituality instead of religion because because I don't know if it's possible to unite religion with science because the term religion has so many different connotations, belief systems, etc. But but to that point, I think we're 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 getting closer to a framework to unite science and spirituality based upon the simple truth that all is one that that there is an that there is a ground of of consciousness and i don't know if that is really a belief but i i think that when that becomes a scientific truth assuming it is a scientific truth that 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 is something that to me will pay big dividends because now now the people of the world now the different religions different nationalities races etc now we now we'll have something to agree upon and not only will we have something to agree upon but it but it will be the deepest most important thing and that's why i like the new spirituality i mean and i, and I don't know what term you use i think you use new spirituality in your book um, I like that term the most of all the different terms I've seen because it's sort of like a modern age way of looking at this at this uh, at this perennial issue. So so uh, so I, I think that that's really that's really where I hope things are 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 heading. You know we haven't we haven't talked about quantum theory and the fine tuning of the universe and all this kind of stuff, but we know that from quantum theory there's at least suggestions that consciousness is behind the physical world and and I and again I'm I'm sure you've you've talked I, I know that you've interviewed Amika Swami um, who uh, who I've had on the show a couple times uh, to talk about this very topic and that that is what is so exciting and a lot of people who aren't reading the books or 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 watching the documentaries don't appreciate that although it's not exactly a, a accelerated pace we do have a lo- we do have science coming closer to spirituality right now. I mean, would you agree with that, or or do you think that there's that there's still um, you know a, a long way apart from each other? Uh, actually, yeah, I've I've talked with people like Fred Allen Wolf. He's a quantum physicist, and when you talk to quantum physicists, if if you just sort of close your eyes and forget who they are, they almost seem like the high priest of some new religion. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think some of it's because yeah. our, our scientific technology, the, the actual apparatuses, like random event generators and things, we're actually developing technology that's, that's going deeper into the energetic fields of the quantum world that we live in. Yeah. So we're actually we're, we're starting to be able to gauge it and actually take measurements of that field. So... This is opening up scientists to where they can explore the realm that was supposedly the sacred realm of religious uh, researchers, but religion stopped researching a long time ago. Yes, yes, but yes. I, I, I think we're headed towards something that where religion will, will go to the, to the way of the mythological graveyards of all the other gods that's ever been, and we, we will grow up and a new form will take place in which we will have science and religion embedded with each other in such a way that 
it's almost inseparable. And this again is bringing in the precarious razor's edge that we we need to walk and bring these two factions of research together in such a way that we can start seeing the world because true religion, for me, true religion is what allows us to step out into the dark, the unknown. But science is that part of us that requires us to put our foot down on something eventually and not just three or 4,000 years later falling through empty space. Yeah, but it, yes, yes. It, it does take faith it, to take that first initial step. And this is what scientists do when they form a theory with absolutely no proof, but then they set out to prove it. Yes, and, and I think that going back to the, you know Einstein's quote, I mean, he... He wanted to understand, you know, the mind of God. I think one of his other quotes is he wants to understand how the Great One did it or something like that. And his, I, I wanted to ask you, what do you think uh, Einstein meant by his, his line or his, his uh, saying that religion without science is blind? Well, I, I think it's probably portrayed best by another saying that he had. And he said that we're never going to come up with the solutions from the same level of awareness that created the problems. Yes. I, yes. And I think what, what he's saying is what we're actually saying. Every time we try to figure out uh, how to fix something, we're figuring it out from the same level that created the problems. And if you stop and think about it, I mean... I, I think let's just picture ourselves at, at a higher level of consciousness and trying to explain to a seven-year-old a, a little theory that we have. And the theory is this. We're going to develop a, a financial system that's based on infinite growth on a planet with infinite resources, and we're going to install it on a planet with finite resources. Yeah. Do you think that would work? Yeah. I, I mean, a yeah. seven-year-old would say, well, no, you know, yeah. like, Duh. Yeah. But this is what our, our brightest people in the room have sat down and figured out over the years. And it's a low level of consciousness that they're coming from. So I think if we don't, and I guess this is why I, in a way, I've, I'm leaning more and more towards the spiritual answer because I don't think we're smart enough to figure out the mess that we're in. And maybe we shouldn't even fix it because it's destroying the planet. Well, I like I like to think, and this this is probably the thorniest problem of them all, the one that you're talking about, which 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 gets into politics and government. And and I I am very idealistic, as you probably have figured out by now. But I believe there's a belief that. If we could change the mindset to a more spiritual mindset, if it becomes more embedded, if we replace sort of the religion, orthodox religion microchip and stick in the microchip that says open-minded spirituality, we're all one, that that will have a filter-down effect, a trickle-down effect. That's, that's really, you know, perhaps I'm being naive, but, but right now, you know, when you look at the, the at the warring camps with the different re religious uh, denominations, the different political parties, it's it seems as if they're fighting on the surface. And I, I'm hoping that if we change things from the ground up, 
Rahisha, it, it will it will lead to, you know, a better form of government. Uh, that's my that's really me being extremely idealistic because frankly, I don't know how to do it any other way. And and so I don't know what you think, but but uh, my hope is that part of the revolution, uh, the spiritual revolution, when it comes, will help us have a better government. Yeah, and I th I think little by little, even globally, especially in Europe, my my book sells actually better in places like Norway and Sweden and England. It, it's strange because I, I do uh, I get pretty confrontational against government and religion, and, and that doesn't go over too good here. <laughs> but I I think people are waking up to the fact that religion there is no such thing as a holy war. There is no such thing as a holy war. And the reason religious people fight wars is because they're afraid they're wrong. Right. That, that, that's what's behind all of this aggression. You, you shut up the aggressor that's trying to tell you that you're wrong. Right, right, right. And I, I, think, that that, I think that's exactly right. Now, before we bring this to a, a close, I, I know that you've, you've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of the leading thinkers uh, in this area, you mentioned Fred Allen Wolf, Bruce Lipton, Amaka Swami, and you and you have a, a number of other interviews uh, in your in your in your book. From from these discussions you've had, what what are some of the main takeaways that you could leave us with the listeners with from from what you've learned through your research and interviews? On, on this on this area here of of uh, of a new spirituality and a sort of a overcoming of religious orthodoxy, I, I hesitate to even bring this up with a limited time. But I I think the thing that I've come away with uh, a lot of a lot of the people I've interviewed this has been off the record, but for the most part, most of them readily admit that they think that the the biggest thing that we're actually getting ready for is disclosure. Disclosure of the fact that we we have shared this universe with other living beings and there are so many people like Stephen Greer, the Disclosure Project, there's over 400 top military people, flight attendants, pilots, flight controllers, they want to testify in front of Congress that we're, we have been and are working with advanced beings on this planet. And just recently, the Russian prime minister came out and openly admitted that the Russian government is working with advanced beings, hmm. people from another planet. So I think a lot of this, this religious disassembly that we're doing, because religions, let's face it, they're not going to accept another advanced race because then it gets into, well, who created them and do they have their God? And it would just be a mess. We need to dismantle so many of our organized religious precepts and, and even our nationalism. We need to come together as one people to really form a bond with each other because this is going to be a big one. And, and I think it's close on the horizon. I, I've been interviewing people like John Anthony West, uh, Philip Copens, Michael Cremo. Uh, if you go to my YouTube site, which is youtube.com, forward slash Lotus Guide, you can see some of those interviews are with credible archaeologists and researchers and investigative journalists 
that are coming up with the same information. We're getting ready for something in our immediate future that's going to be a game changer. And we need to grow up uh, spiritually, consciously, and let go of our childish superstitions to be able to embrace this. Well, I I think that I think that's good, and and of course a lot of people would have would have doubts about the disclosure issue you mentioned. But as you just uh, pointed out, those those who are skeptics or have questions can go to the website to the YouTube uh, uh, site you just mentioned and check this out. And in some ways, you know, I don't even know if if that is if if that is that important. In other words. We have reason enough to break down the walls between religions, to, to transcend, to, as Einstein would say, to reach a higher level of consciousness to solve this problem that we've created here. We have enough reasons to do it without being encouraged by, by another civilization. I mean, I think the time is ripe for us to take responsibility for our own beliefs and and for our own planet and and you know we haven't got into the environmental part of this and the and the nationality part of it but but if nothing else I think that go right at this issue and I think you should be complimented for not for not backing off and for not backing down because the message that I think you're giving here is is folks we only have one life to lead, and many of the beliefs that we've been raised with just don't hold water. They don't hang together, and, and those are really commandeered by religious orthodoxy and, 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 by, and by mainstream religion. Now, now science isn't perfect either, but, but my feeling about it is that if these truths of religion are really true, then they should withstand questioning, and and we shouldn't be a concern. We shouldn't be afraid to raise a few questions. So, Rahisha, why don't you tell us a little bit about? I, I think you mentioned your your website, but but maybe just tell uh, folks a little bit more about how they get in touch with you, or how they can learn a little bit more about your work. Sure, my my personal website is rahasiapo.com, which is R A. H-A-S-Y-A-P-O-E dot com. And I also publish a magazine here in California called The Lotus Guide, which is L-O-T-U-S-G-U-I-D-E dot com. And the um, YouTube site, which is pretty popular because I'm, I, I've been interviewing some really amazing people. Uh, that's YouTube dot com forward slash Lotus Guide. And you can get in touch with me through my email at rahasia at usa.com. Well, thank you very much. And, and once again, your book is very well researched and it's well written. Uh, the name of the book is To Believe or Not Believe, The Social and Neurological Consequences of Belief Systems. And as we've learned or heard on this show and, uh, and others, that do us all good to take a step back sometimes and question some of those fundamental beliefs to determine whether they would stand the same type of scrutiny that we apply to other more common beliefs. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. 
You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 